Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Radio Book Club here on KZMU 106.7 and 90.1 FM. My name is Jessie Magleby. I am a librarian at Grand County Public Library. I'm here with my colleague, Meg Flynn, also a librarian, and with our friend, Molly, who is helping, <laughs> helping drive the bus here at the station. I'm so thrilled to be here. Radio Book Club is, you know, one of my favorite shows. This is exciting is. for me. <laughs> Wonderful. You can catch us at 5 p.m. on the first Monday of every month. This is a show where we like to talk about library and bookstore news and tell you about the best and sometimes the worst of what we've been reading (laughs) and all sorts of literary news. Welcome. We are typically here with Sherry and Andy from the bookstore, but um, Andy is out of town doing bookish things and um, Sherry is minding the store tonight unexpectedly, I believe. And so um, I got got to rope my friend Meg and Molly into the show, <laughs> Thanks, so it'll be a little different <laughs> mix. And Meg, you've been you've done Radio Book Club before. It's been I a while. Have. I was trying to remember when the last time I was part of Radio Book Club was, but I I'm not sure. It was pre-pandemic for sure. Yeah. So that's been a while. Feels like five minutes and five years. That is completely <laughs> accurate. Yes. yes but it's nice to be back. Thank you for having me. I. Um, Glad to be here helping out, talking books with you all. Cool. Well, we are going to miss Sherry and Andy a lot tonight, and uh, we'll try to keep you entertained. Sherry did um, send me a little bit of a book review to share with you all something that she's excited about, so we'll get to hear her her voice through the airwaves a little bit anyway. Um, so, typically, uh, we'll sort of st- start with any news that's going on. The library's fairly quiet event-wise these days. Um, we've been having a lot of fun with endless book challenges. Mm. Um, we're currently running one for the month of February that's just called For the Love of Reading. You can sign up with our little online app. If you go to moablibrary.org, you'll see... Uh, lots of easy links through our webpage. All you have to do is keep track of how many minutes or hours you read in the month. And if you read four hours or more during the month of February, that counts as a completion. You get to win all these fun little uh, virtual badges as you track your reading. And there are sign-up prizes and completion prizes. And I have to say the ones we have for this month are a little fun. I also should mention that this is for all ages. Babies and children can be read to, and that counts twice, once for the reader and once for the the person being read to. (laughs) What about children, teens, and adults? Are you allowed to read to your cat? I encourage (laughs) reading to your pet. <laughs> or your wild animal friends. Okay. The animals love it and they're super non judgmental and they just really appreciate being read to. And uh, one of my cats likes to be read to. Oh, really? Nice. Bit. She, yes. Yeah. She probably so, even has an account with she, the. She likely the, does have an online library account. account. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so um, for the, I can tell you what the adult. Um, prizes are anybody that uh signs up gets a free all natural chapstick good time of year to keep your lips <laughs> nice and moisturized <laughs> couple different flavors to choose from and uh any any adult that completes four hours or more of reading with the online challenge then gets to come in and pick up their completion prize which is a really fun little enamel lapel pin and the theme of books are awesome is one set to choose from and then some kind of fun outdoorsy hiking themed enamel pins look right on your backpack use it for a tie pin i don't know or your lapel or your your lapel lapel. (laughs) anyways for the love of reading we just want to encourage everybody to keep reading and try to make it fun at the same time amazing yeah Um, Other library news is just um, there's kind of a fun program going on in our one of our meeting rooms, the boardroom. It's a a big hydroponic growing system for for growing edible food. I heard a rumor about this. I'm so excited to hear about it. This (laughs) is so it's so fun. So um, in partnership with the Youth Garden Project and Beacon After School, there's a club of really fun, smart, interesting kids that are already germinating seeds and learning what all plants, what all the things that plants need to grow and thrive. 
and the future of uh, food production and food production in space. And there's just all kinds of interesting applications. Anybody that's curious is welcome to pop in and take a look. There's a there's an almost a salad's worth of of green really sprouts good. in there. It's some really cilantro, and cabbage, cabbages, basil. arugula. It's a really neat system, um, and it's neat to see the seeds germinate really super fast. fast. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Now, can people snack on it? Not quite yet. Not quite yet. It would, okay. Yeah, it would, uh, <laughs> it would wipe it out pretty fast. Okay. They're, they're little babies. It's tempting, although it's, it's so beautiful and luscious and green mm -hmm. already. And before the phone starts ringing, yes, we are planting catnip for the Cosmo, the library <laughs> cat. That is happening. Although we will have to be strategic about where that is so that he doesn't get up on the mm. yep. and yep. that can cause, cause some trouble. Yeah, so there's just a few little uh, tidbits of library news for everyone. And um, I'll be yeah. curious to see how much food it produces. I've heard that it can make quite a bit. How large is it? So there are actually three, at least three, maybe more, oh. different different types of systems. They, okay. they um, differ a little bit in the um, whether the plants or roots are soaking in water or mm -hmm. there's a little germinating, little germinating spot with a timer and lights and stuff that's sprouting the seeds. And then those little guys get moved into a bigger shelf rack with water and lights. And um, I don't know exactly how much it'll produce, but it, it looks like a decent kitchen garden size. Mm -hmm. You could, and you can grow pretty densely, I gather. It looks like. Yeah. It'll so. be neat to see. I, I recommend coming over to see it now and this like stop by the library and check on it every once in a while yeah. if you're in the neighborhood, because I think it'll just be curious to watch it change and mm. grow and maybe you will eventually get a snack. It's pretty cool. I, pop my head in there a couple times a day and you can even see changes from morning till evening sometimes they grow so fast and it's fun to be around a garden this time of year too so yeah it sure is. i have some spring fever personally totally so <laughs> totally <laughs> <laughs> all right well sometimes we like to talk about uh books that are on the bestseller list and the one that we pay attention to most at the library and i think the bookstore too is called the Indie Bestseller List. This is a weekly bestseller list that compiles data from sales of all the independent booksellers all across, not all of them, but many mm -hmm. in, this, mm -hmm. in this cohort, um, independent booksellers across the nation. And it gives you a snapshot of a, a slightly different snapshot of what people are reading as opposed to the New York Times Bestseller List or something that's a little more generic. The very top-selling fiction hardcover book this week is Amor Towles' The Lincoln Highway. Hmm. I haven't read this one yet, but I loved his previous book, A Gentleman in Moscow. Many of you will recognize that title. It was one of the loveliest books I've ever read. Hmm. So I'm happy to see that his new novel is doing so well. Um, Isabel Allende has a new novel that's just come out called Violetta, and that is number two on the bestseller list. Um, and then Anthony Doerr's uh, most recent novel, Cloud Cuckoo Land, is number three on the bestseller list this, um, this, this week. And we know Anthony Doerr from All the Light We Cannot See. Mm -hmm. um, that was a really, really wildly popular book for a few years. I know it's been um, checked out at the library, too. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, all of the books mentioned here uh -huh. are available to be checked out at the library. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's a little bit of a waiting list. Also, folks out there, if you don't know this, um, if you did not know this, I'd like to let you know that any book that we do not have that you want to read, um, the library will try really hard to get it for you. We um, purchase many, many titles for the library collection that are uh, patron requests. We're very responsive. Um, if we, if it doesn't fit in our collection development policy, we can borrow from other libraries for free. That used, there used to be a charge for that, but that has been free for mm. you guys for a couple of years now in our library loan. So um, if you don't see what you want in our catalog, don't give up. Come find one of us. You can also make requests online through your library account that you log into. Um, or you can just give us a call and tell us what you want to read, and we'll try to get it to you. Want to hear my funny Anthony Doerr story? Oh, yeah. yes, please. Of course. So I was in Salt Lake uh, years ago now, and he was doing a book talk for... Uh, his first, well, not his first book. It was his big blockbuster book, The 
all the light we cannot see. Mm. And it just so happened that he was um, there for, I think, the Utah Humanities Book Festival. And I was up there, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go. It was a free event at the Salt Lake City Public Library. So I went, and, of course, it was super interesting book talk. And then they did the signing afterwards. And by now, his book has, like, kind of gotten mm. quite big mm, at that mm-hmm. point and so I was so excited and turns out he at the time I don't know if he still does but he lived in Boise Idaho which I calculated was like not that far away <laughs> from Moab oh, where's this going? So <laughs> I, I had his book and I got in line to get it signed which was quite long and the whole time I was just clutching it and thinking like I'm gonna ask him to come to Moab and speak at the library because I'm getting to talk to like I had like a little like mm-hmm. Twitter like famous person <laughs> kind of thing going on and anyway I got to the front of the line and I gave him my book to sign and I said um so uh I work at the <laughs> library <laughs> in Moab which is not that far away from here and I understand you live in Boise and I was just wondering if you would ever want to come and give a book talk there because that would just be the greatest thing ever and uh Totally embarrassing myself. And he was very nice and just said, um, thanks. Call my agent. Pretty much. You you have a spare spare $50,000. This is my mo. I was like, the guy lives close. He's talked about hiking with his kids. I was like, dude, definitely comes through Moab, I'm sure. He may have been here. And we don't even know it. That's right. I know. Oh, well, that's so Meg, funny. thank you for crying. It doesn't hurt to it never ask. Never hurts to ask. It really doesn't. What the worst they could say is no. You know, or talk to my agent. Which we do that nice. all the time at KZMU with different like musicians yeah. or speakers. We're like, but you're really gonna love Moab. <laughs> you're not that far away. It has a lot to offer. Please come through. <laughs> and like you know, I mean, uh-huh. we're a tourist destination. So right. Surely. Mm-hmm. Talented artists, writers, right. musicians, famous people mm-hmm. want Never to come know. here and they could, you know, write it off if they also <laughs> happen to give a talk or play a show while they're here. Oh, that's a, that's a great story. Oh, I love it. So what have we been reading? I have a couple of fun books to talk about, but I am kind of curious to hear what Molly's been reading. Oh my gosh. I warned you. I know. Okay, so they put me on the spot, but I did just finish um, Deacon King Kong by James McBride. And this is the first novel I've read of his. As I said at the top, I'm a super fan of Radio Book Club, so this is amazing that I get to be part of it today. Um, And that was, I don't know if it was a book recommendation or it was just mentioned in passing by one of you in a previous episode, but I decided to check it out. And I so enjoyed it. And I liked it so much that I picked up Good Lord Bird, which I'm just starting to read now. So I don't have much to say on that. But as far as um, Deacon King Kong, I just like the vibrancy of the characters. You know, it's set, um, I want to say in the 60s. Oh, man, it's been like two weeks now in New York. And like, there's all these creative like character names. And the central character is this man, Deacon King Kong, that's his nickname, and he got the nickname because he has a propensity for this rot gut, as James McBride says, this moonshine, pretty much. And so it's really interesting to have the central character um, be someone who is either talking to himself because he's had a lot of uh, rot gut or he's <laughs> talking to his wife who is no longer with us like and is appearing to him in these visions um i just love like i love a central character like that who is a little bit unexpected nice that, that was i remember i read the first couple of chapters of that and i always meant to get back to it, it um i don't remember something else more important had come up that i mm-hmm. had it do in a timely manner so i didn't i did put that one down but i I do remember that the characters were so vivid and believable. Mm-hmm. You could just, you could absolutely just picture him sitting around playing dominoes and just shooting uh-huh. the breeze and <laughs> just right. being, being their fabulous selves. Did the story, did the storyline uh, keep you? keep you intrigued the whole way through besides the characters it did i mean the storyline was kind of meandering and a little bit wandering but it kept my attention because of the characters that james mcbride was presenting so you know you all talk about on radio book club sometimes like you're reading the book at the right time and you're receptive to it so i have a feeling that was you know the case this book just um hit me at the right time and i was so enveloped 
in all these different storylines that were part of a central theme that yeah it kept it kept me entertained i think i read it pretty quickly which is always a good sign that is thanks molly you've uh yeah that's a reminder that's a book i've always meant to pick back up cool meg what about you what have you been reading lately oh i am currently in the middle of a new book titled the school for good mothers yes i'd like to hear about this jessamine chan i am really enjoying it i was curious about it because uh before it came out, I saw that it was getting compared to The Handmaid's Tale, which oh. is a favorite novel of mine. And so I was pretty curious to see what this would be all about. And um, I'm really into it so far. I'm not sure where it's going to go. But the premise is there's uh, it's this 39-year-old Chinese-American single mother. And she has one, what she calls, really bad day, mm. where she leaves her toddler alone for a few hours and child protective services gets called on her and then she's forced to go through this system it's kind of, it's taking place in an environment that's maybe a little bit future from now maybe mm-hmm. a little bit just like a slide off of reality mm-hmm. um, but close enough that it's not that different um, and so she ends up having to go to this school and it's super weird (laughs) (laughs) where Uh they supposedly teach you how to be a good mother and there's a lot of social commentary in there um, Mm. about expectations around what motherhood is and how things should be according to society Mm. and um She's a really, really interesting character. And then her the her daughter's father had left her for this younger woman who kind of is becoming, to me anyway, the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, yeah, I'm just curious where it's all going to go. We'll get you back on air next month. Okay. And you can tell us how it went. You, yeah. The book has been getting rave reviews everywhere. Mm-hmm. Kirkus Starg review. Um getting a lot of a lot of attention for being a really smart and uh intelligent look at maybe where Mm. um dare i use the term nanny state where you know where that kind of where that kind of thing might go and um yeah what it could look like the school is definitely this government run program there's more stuff i want to tell you but i don't want to give any spoilers that it's kind of all I'm thinking about now, which is blocking any other information mm. from coming out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that sounds good though. Um, that is a school, the School for Good Mothers by Jessamine Chan. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. Nice. Um, I asked permission to share somebody else's book review, um, and they gave me permission to talk about a novel. Sarah Mead read a book by Rachel Yoder called Night Bitch. This book came out last year, and um, she loved it. Sarah says, this book is incredible. Her writing style is unique, wildly compelling, and kind of magic. A story of a new first-time mother trying to square putting aside her career and passion for art to raise a child. Also in that square, the patriarchy, capitalism, and some straight-up magic. I couldn't read fast enough at times, and I wish there was more. Well, she got that was such a such a great review. She yeah. got me to pick up the book. I'm only a few pages into it, but um, thought it was safe to safe to um, safe to pass this information along. Anybody that likes a modern, edgy, and definitely feminist take on um, the delights of motherhood um, and some of the interesting challenges that that we come up against. You might enjoy this. I'll read you just what the inside jacket, the first little bit of the inside jacket blurb says. One day the mother was a mother, but then one night she was quite suddenly something else. In this blazingly blazingly smart and voracious debut, an artist turned stay-at-home mom becomes convinced she's turning into a dog. Hence the name... Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder. So Amazing. that is, I'll have to give you the proper, my proper report next month too, but I thought I would pass that. Edgy feminist fiction, um, definitely a, a fresh and interesting 
Gosh, an interesting sounding story. What a what a fascinating review from Sarah to yeah. get you to pick up that book. That's it's, so neat. Yeah, she um, she definitely gave that a going review. Uh-huh. I need to add that to my list as well. Yeah. Um, and then Sherry at the bookstore. We miss you, Sherry, if you're listening. I wish you were here. Um, she read the new uh, story by Toni Morrison. It's actually an older story that has just been republished um, as a sort of a short and short mm. novel form. And it's called Recitative. It is the French form of recit- recitative. A style of musical declamation that hovers between song and ordinary speech, particularly used for dialogic and narrative interludes during operas and oratories. It's also an obsolete sense of the term. An obsolete sense of the term is also the tone or rhythm peculiar to any language. So that's the meaning of the word recessative Mm. by Toni Morrison. The introduction to this book was written by Zadie Smith. And I will read you Sherry's review. Amazing. Toni Morrison's only short story was written in 1980 and anthologized in a number of collections. Recently, Recessatif was published as a standalone book in hardcover with a well-thought-out introduction by Zadie Smith. The story is about two girls, Twyla and Roberta, who find themselves for a short time in an orphanage for children. They were there because their mothers were unable to care for them, as one was sick, and the other, as Morrison puts it, just likes to dance all night. (laughs) The story evolves into five brief encounters that Twyla and Roberta have with each other as they grow into adulthood. Here's where it gets interesting. We know early on that one of these girls is black and one is white, but Morrison deliberately removes all racial codes from the narrative about the two characters Mm -hmm. of different races for whom racial identity is crucial. Essentially, we never do truly know which girl is black and which girl is white. In Morrison's experimental prose and with her extraordinary command of language, we are led into deliberate ambiguity and are tempted to keep guessing. But guessing misses the point. A deeper reading exposes how language simultaneously reveals deep layers of prejudice and deep-rooted markers of racial identity. Read this book. Read it twice. Consider Zadie Smith's powerful introduction and let Morrison's words deepen your understanding of her mind, her world, and even the world at large. As always, a very thoughtful review from Mm. Sherry Zollinger of Back of Beyond Books for the new Toni Morrison publication called Recessatif. Toni Morrison is an author that I kind of did this I do this with book with a lot of nonfiction books is I'll pick up one book and I'll get so into it that I'll pick up you know the next five <laughs> by the same author I think I'm doing that with James McBride right now but I remember reading like all of Toni Morrison's <laughs> work in a couple months wow. like just digesting it so that seems like a book for me yeah. thank you Sherry indeed <laughs> let's see so uh the last month or so I've had read a uh, a lengthy series of books that were merely entertaining, um, fine and fun, several that were flat out disappointing, mm. and one that I just didn't get at all and didn't finish. <laughs> oh, yes, that I happens. I don't know what they all are. Well, yeah. Max Porter is an author I love. He wrote a book called Lanny. I reviewed that oh, a few falls ago. You and the loved grief that book. and grief is the thing with feathers, mm. also just staggeringly beautiful writing strange wonderful beautiful writing his i was very excited for his most recent book which is called the death of francis bacon Mm. francis bacon being a an artist a painter Mm. um i think he's no longer alive but he was francis bacon yeah (laughs) and um i don't know enough about the, the his art or his life i think to get perhaps what th- where the book was going it was mm-hmm. just a little bit over my head I and mean, I definitely like to look up things that I'm reading about and sort of get mental pictures in my head if it's a place I've never been or discussing artwork mm-hmm. I've not looked at um did you finish it I did not no I, I decided job. to move on to one of the other eight books I had piled yeah. on my on my table that day <laughs> I, I may get back to it just because I like what I've read of Max Porter before to, to trust, but um, it's okay. It's a, if it's, you know, it's okay to put down a book that's mm-hmm. not f- floating your boat at mm-hmm. the time. I've learned 
that life is just too short. There are so many (laughs) beautiful books books. out there. If it's not doing it for you, or maybe you just need to wait for the right time to find you again. So I think somebody that's um, more familiar with this artist's life and work might... um, might find mm-hmm. uh, more more find the book more interesting. I'm curious how you all have come to that point because that is something that's hard for especially for avid readers to mm-hmm. actually when they pick up a book they want to see it all the way through. So how did you, how do you reach that point in your it life? It felt like a betrayal <laughs> way at first. Do you know? I, and mm-hmm. I I just working at the library honestly there mm-hmm. was just so so many books crossing crossing my paths that I was so interested and curious that it just right. I just mm-hmm. had to get get to a point where I could just put something down and uh, but it did it felt it feels wrong it feels like you're a quitter <laughs> maybe you're lazy maybe you're mm-hmm. not, not trying not hard trying, enough or and there are definitely books that weren't easy to read and maybe even unpleasant partway through that I'm glad I stuck out to the end that were mm-hmm. really worth the struggle and the journey but you know, it also has to find you at the right time, mm-hmm. I think. So mm-hmm. I I never give anybody any grief for putting down a book that's not not making them yeah. happy and excited or intrigued. Mm-hmm. I think because um, there is there's plenty of great stuff out there. I'm not good at it at all. It's definitely a <laughs> muscle I need to exercise. To, to give up I, the book yeah, if you don't love I it. Yeah, I recently finished one that took not that long, mm-hmm. but long enough. And then I got to the end and I was so ticked uh-huh. at how much time I yeah. had spent because right. I was just like it ended and I mean I, I wanted to know I, I was legitimately curious what was going to happen there was a woman and was she dead or was she alive mm. I really did want to know <laughs> where well, that was going to land but then there was still like I should have when I th- the book was not over when that was revealed and I mm-hmm. should have just cut my losses at that point okay well now we need to know what book this exactly. is exactly so it's one of i've been on kind of a bender reading like thriller style beach reads awesome. <laughs> airplane books mm-hmm. which has been thoroughly entertaining mm-hmm. over the winter and so this one was uh called apples never fall by lane moriarty mm-hmm. i believe mm-hmm. is how you say her name mm-hmm. um and i've read other uh of her page turner type novels yeah well she wrote she wrote big little lies Mm -hmm. that really big tv series yeah which that was a fun book to Mm -hmm. read and this one of course i think there was a lot of hype just because she's sort of become that sort of Mm. popular writer um and i was like oh this will be some candy and instead it just was this like long meandering irritating characters (laughs) and Mm. then in the end there was kind of this um i won't tell you if the lady is yeah, just in case. Just in case. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's Someone's out there. plenty of people out there who love the book. Uh-huh. Um, but at the end, there was kind of appended this chunk of, like, COVID chapters hmm. that were so, ugh, like, I just couldn't, you know? And, and, and again, I it's my fault for not putting the book down at sure. that point. Um, but it just felt like maybe the book was being written when the pandemic was starting or happening and she's just wanting to stick a bunch of random commentary about this family having to social distance. Yeah, you can kind of tell when that's like kind of inserted as an afterthought, like, oh, we better update the story I've been working on for five years. It just Mm -hmm. didn't... And make make it look like it's relevant today. It didn't add anything. It wasn't... Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if some authors were sort of under pressure to do that, you know, Ooh. to their novels. To make it. I think fit. you saw that in the in the television world, too. Yes. Some mm-hmm. series were, like, putting in these COVID or pandemic references almost, and it felt very rushed or uh-huh, quick. Afterthought. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Also, I find it similarly troublesome when some of them... Um, like the new Sex in the City reboot, mm-hmm. um, does it? There's just it's over for them. Like they they mention that like, oh yeah, I remember yeah. when we had to oh, isolate right. and stay at home. But like everything's <laughs> oh. hunky dory and there's no pandemic in New York City mm-hmm. when that's taking place. That also feels false to me though. It's an interesting segue. Um, actually, it might lead us right into another book. I'm not finished with the new Gary Steingart book called Our Country Friends. Uh, many of you will remember Gary Steingart from. Um, 
several very acclaimed novels, but his probably his most famous is called Super Sad True Love Story. It's one of Meg's favorite books, as I recall. I, yeah, I, well, what's so funny is we were talking about it earlier today, and then I mentioned that I had really enjoyed that book, and then it's been so long since I read it, I couldn't remember a single detail. <laughs> <laughs> Just that you liked it. Just that I liked uh-huh. it. And so I actually, I went back and I read a like, kind of synopsis um, review of that book to refresh my memory which was fun. So thank you for the memory. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So his new novel is called Our Country Friends. And the segue part, I guess I should explain, is Mm -hmm. this is being hailed as the first pandemic literary novel. Amazing. Which which we've all read, you know, that's not the first novel that talks about the pandemic, obviously. But this one is, um, a lot of it is coping with the, the social and personal fallout from... Um, the pandemic. So the setup in this new book, Our Country Friends, is eight friends, one country house, four romances, and six months in isolation. A story about love, friendship, family, and betrayal that reads like Chekhov on the Hudson by the novelist New York Times calls one of the generation's most original writers. So these people, there are eight or ten adults who who decamp to the New York countryside to to wait out the pandemic. It's probably March or April of that first year, 2020. And um, everyone here is pretty successful. There's um, academics and intelligentsia and... um, Everybody's pretty comfortably well off, and um, there's an, a famous uh, heartthrob actor that shows up, and there's um, this group of friends have known each other through college, and some of them even through ch- before that in childhood. There's um, anyway, they all decamp to the countryside where this famous author and professor has uh, created a bunch of little bungalows and trying to make sort of an artist colony, and this is the perfect perfect setup. He invites his close friends to come live with them out in the country mm-hmm. while New York is shutting down and hijinks ensue. <laughs> <laughs> now, at first, I was curious about this just because I know he's a, he's, you know, touted as a good, good writer and that this is uh, one of the first, you know, pandemic literary novels. But I wasn't sure I really wanted to spend that much time with these people. The, you know, this, the description <laughs> right. I just gave you is, um, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Um, they're all very um, neurotic and self-obsessed, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, with his writing, I, I find that I am just chugging right along. I'm at least halfway through it already. Um, his descriptions of people are so spot on, oh. so keenly observed. You, they're three-dimensional, mm-hmm. um, also very humorous. It's heartbreaking and humorous and almost in equal measure because mm. um, these people's foibles and um, sillinesses are, are starting to rise to the top, and um, it can be very amusing. And at the same time, there's poignancy um, as they're discussing, you know, generational trauma. And some of some of them are first-generation Russian Jews whose grandparents had to immigrate to flee um, persecution mm. from the from Europe. So there's um, one of the there's a, a adopted daughter who's a very interesting and non non-binary child that may be on the spectrum, and she is just the spark of light for the entire the entire story. I really love her character. Mm. Anyhow, what um, made you pick it up if you initially were thinking you wouldn't want to read it? What changed your mind? Well, I wanted to give it. I wanted to give it a look over, but mm-hmm. but what I guess what kept me going was just the the main character, the the professor and the writer is named Sasha Sendorovsky, and he's such a cartoonish, absurd character, but completely believable as he's tooling around the countryside in his Volvo, his classy <laughs> Volvo station wagon, and he's wearing some kind of like silk uh, bathrobe over <laughs> his clothes. And his expensive loafers, and he's only just learned to drive in the last few years, and he's just horrible at driving and doesn't care. And he's always (laughs) taking out mailboxes and almost hitting dogs, and he's kind of a a hapless, a hapless fool in many ways. And um, but but pretty pretty funny. It's Mm. it's just well Uh, it's well done. mm, It's um, so um, I totally. I think I'll be finishing this one. It's called Our, Our Country yeah. Friends. Our Country Friends Amazing. by Gary Steingart. And um, 
it is kind of kind of amusing to see the early days of the pandemic how mm -hmm. we all thought this was just going to be two for weeks. a few weeks yeah <laughs> two weeks to slow the spread remember that mm -hmm. oh my gosh anyway so some of that's a little bit amusing and some of the you know neurotic safety precautions that we had to take early right. on that mm -hmm. wound up not being that important you're mm -hmm. kind of seeing all the people anyway it's just it's interesting the pandemic is such a huge such a huge shift and change for everybody in the whole world at the same time. It's affecting us all in some different ways, but also in some same ways. It is something that is going to be written about and tried mm -hmm. to under people. Are, we're going to tr be trying to understand its effects right. on us uh, besides the obvious mm -hmm. um, for many years. It's mm -hmm. a huge psychological event, I think. So I'm curious to see what writers are doing mm -hmm. with it. We're good, really, you know, good, good skilled right. writers. Not so. just like an afterthought, but really contemplating and researching. Yeah. Like what does that do to this child that mm -hmm. like the child in this story already has super anxiety issues mm -hmm. and maybe some trouble processing um, information at mm -hmm. times like what is that doing to her psyche her you know parents are worried about like it and future memoirs that will come out yeah. from children oh you know, yeah. people that are young now that will yeah. write about their experiences mm -hmm. that'll be yeah I'm sure yeah it's so a much. it's a really interesting gravity well, I'll take a breath for a moment. Okay. Um. <laughs> I'll, I'll jump in to say that you're listening to KZMU Radio Book Club. I'm Molly. I'm here with Meg. Me and Meg are, are filling in. Mm -hmm. We're the, we're the, the helpers. We're the B team, yes. B squad. <laughs> Um, and Jesse, Jesse and Meg, of course, from the library. I actually have another book on my shelf. Yay. <laughs> I always feel that I'm most in balance when I have a fiction and a nonfiction book. I yeah. like to kind of toggle between the two. Mm -hmm. um, some days, like on glorious weekends, I'll just, you know, basically pick up one and then pick up the other. And that's like my favorite way to spend a day. <laughs> but I'm reading um, Orwell's Roses and I feel hesitant to bring it up because I feel like I think the last time it was reviewed on the show, Brooke Williams reviewed it. Brooke and oh. Sherry. Yeah, there are some heavy hitters. Wow. <laughs> There's some heavy hitters. So I will just I don't have much to add to the conversation if people don't. Um, know about this book. It is a biography and literary criticism on George Orwell and his interest in gardening and other political, you know, uh, pursuits. And this is a book of, of different essays on that theme. And like I said, Brooke Williams and Sherry Zollinger both reviewed it in previous episodes of Radio Book Club. So I don't have much to add, just that uh, I am loving it. And I think it's so interesting. I'll read you know, a chapter, put it down, and then have a lot to say. <laughs> and I've been um, writing little thoughts down about nature and about socialism. Like, I mean, this book touches on all sorts of different things, climate change. Um, and yeah, another great treasure from the library. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You too. Awesome. Orwell's oh, Roses. Orwell's Roses. By Rebecca Solnit. Yes. Yeah. So that's... um. That's three. That's three rave reviews for that book. I think that's a home run. <laughs> yeah. Rebecca Solnit. Mm -hmm. Meg, do you have anything? Sure. Um, the book I read recently that I probably loved the most was Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mandel. I had read her other book, Station Eleven, that I think a lot of people are familiar with. It's um, even been made into a TV series now. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. um, and I actually liked this book even more. Um there's these two sort of disparate events. There's a, a woman who goes missing off of a container ship and then a Ponzi scheme that completely collapses in 2008. And mm. the, the book sort of winds these two things together. And I love how it's, um, oh gosh, how to describe it? The, characters are super interesting I think really well drawn and they're all sort of either lightly or, or quite significantly tied to each other mm. in these different uh, experiences that happen I loved it I just loved it I don't know what else to say. Um, I'm terribly sorry I'm not very prepared here um, B team B team <laughs> I remember the imagery being really strong yes. in that book. I can still see, like, almost out of that hotel window looking out across the sound mm. and the fog mm. and trees and water. Yeah. The Glass Hotel. So the title of the book kind of takes its name from um, it, it opens up with this beautiful 
a hotel on I think it's somewhere in Canada mm-hmm. um, in a small town on this little island that um, it's like the only thing on the island I believe mm-hmm. off the coast of on the western coast of Canada I believe and um, there's a bartender a woman and then a person sitting at the bar and it's like sometime late in the evening mm. and somehow someone draws on the window of the outside of the hotel uh why don't you swallow broken glass <gasps> and then from there like the two people and that phrase this this novel just leaves from that place and mm. travels around and basically shows you by the end how those people and that phrase are all connected to each other that's a great description, Meg. Yeah, that's beautiful. Really, that's really intriguing. Beautiful. I lo- it was such an excellent route. Much like what you were saying about uh-huh. Deacon King Kong, where it's just, yeah. I just wanted to be with that book and just keep uh-huh. right. not put, you know, reading it, not putting it down. I was so right. enchanted by the whole thing. Right. And there's something about, just something about the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You wanted yeah. to keep it going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, when I was... Um, I just finished about three just merely entertaining books and one disappointing book. I was really in the mood for something um, that was some serious writing, some good mm. craft. Mm. Some, um, and I was delighted when the new A.S. Byatt's book of short stories called Medusa's Ankles has come out. I loved... Um, an early book of her short stories called The Djinn in the Nightingale's Eye. Mm. That is an incredibly beautiful collection of short, I would almost call them fables or fairy tales for adults. They're very, very strange and thoughtful. Her writing is so exquisitely crafted. You can walk into her sentences like a room. Like mm. I, when I picked this book up, I flipped through the first couple of um stories and they were they were fine they were pretty good but i got to one a little ways in called the chinese lobster and i was like oh this is what i've been needing this is what i've been needing i just her first couple of paragraphs i just stopped and just look like you know that this writer is so exquisitely good at her craft that Mm -hmm. not a single word is out of place uh the characters names like everything in it is Mm. pointing you towards something or many maybe many things and Mm -hmm. Her stories always surprise me. So A.S. Byatt, she is, um, she's won the Booker Prize for, I believe it was the novel Possession, which is an awesome literary mystery. If anybody wants a really intelligent mm. literary mystery, pick up Possession. Okay. I think the fact that it's called a literary romance puts people off, but it's mm. way, way, way beyond that. It <laughs> is a wonderful book. I think that's what she won the Booker Prize for. Correct me if I'm wrong. The story that really got me going in this book was called The Chinese Lobster. This was previously published, I want to say, 92 Mm. in The New Yorker and also another book of her short stories previous to this. Um, I will read you just a short description in here to give an idea of what what she's doing. Um, And uh, an art professor is going to lunch in a local Chinese restaurant near her campus um, she's about to meet another professor who has just been accused of sexual harassment by a very unpleasant female art student, and they're there to discuss it. Mm-hmm. The display is brightly lit. So she's in the she's in the, the entryway to the restaurant, and there's this um, sort of refrigerated glass cube she mm-hmm. stops to look at. The display is brightly lit and arranged on a carpet of that fierce emerald green artificial grass used by greengrocers and undertakers. Round the edges on open shells is a border of raw scallops, the pearly flesh dulling, the repeating half-moons of the orange-pink rose playing against the fierce green. In the middle, in the very middle, is a live lobster flanked by two live crabs. All three in parts of their bodies are in feeble, perpetual motion. The lobster, slowly in this unbreathable element, moves her long feelers and can be seen to move her little claws on the ends of her legs, which cannot go forward or back. And from their mouths comes a silent hissing and bubbling, a breath, a breath, a cry. Mm. 
that is just the beginning of this story. Just an amazing description. So that floored me. I stopped and reread that a few times. And like, what is this going to be a metaphor for? Like, I couldn't mm -hmm. wait to get in there. The, the story took me in all kinds of surprising places. It's so extremely well done. The two um, professors um, discuss this student who is making, making these accusations. Um, the male professor is offended by this by this student's artwork, which takes Matisse posters and she paints all over them using uh, blood and feces. Um, she is objecting to the male gaze and how it oppresses women, at least some women. And this is so tormented her that she develops a senior thesis on this theme while she's suffering from an untreated eating disorder. The student plausibly accuses a much older traditional sexist male art professor of misconduct and the miracle of this story is how it works to convey the despair and trapped feeling of the art student while at the same time using description to place us firmly within a far different yet no less gripping despair of the character whose point of view dominates that of the sympathetic older female professor and dean who unexpectedly identifies with the suicidality expressed by the art student both in letters to the faculty and in her senior thesis project the sense of being trapped silenced suffocated and helpless is so efficiently conveyed by the description of the lobster so uh -huh. <laughs> it's wow. not the most cheerful story although i didn't find it depressing to read just because it was mm. i mean this is a this this describes a very real scenario and just her exquisite exquisite and delicate writing by the time you get to the end of that short story and and how it ends it was just a complete surprise to me wow. i slammed the book shut threw it on the couch <laughs> and it was just like oh my gosh i just have to stop and think about this for a while wow, wow. so a masterful masterful wow. writer um i think her name is antonia susan by Okay. And she is in her 80s now. She's a British. Mm -hmm. She's a dame. She has been honored for her wow. craft. Um, she and so they've uh, put together a new collection of short stories, some of them new and some of them previously published. If anybody out there is looking for just really exquisite writing, highly recommend any of her books. A.S. Byatt. And the library should have most of them. Amazing. Um, I have another one to talk about, actually. Yes, please. Okay, so um, now that we're talking, now that it's, it's spinning around in my head, I'm like, what else have I read recently? So sometimes what I've found myself doing if I read, you know, a particularly intense um, story, like you were just describing, <laughs> I've been going to, like, Agatha Christie. Oh, yeah. As, nice. like, like, a palate cleanser. Do you oh, all perfect. ever, like, do oh, that? Yes. Absolutely. Where you're just, like, I'm going to go to this, like, old favorite or an author that I, you know, just know I'm going to have, like, an interesting time. Mm. And uh, the latest that I've read of hers was Death on the Nile. Nice. Which I just found out is a movie now, oh. starring uh, Sir Kenneth Branagh. Um, I think <gasps> it's coming out soon. I saw an article today that was talking about books that will be made into films oh, this amazing. year and uh -huh. it listed that one that it had been stalled for some reason and okay. now it was going on again anyway I was so surprised because I just sort of like randomly picked this one up um I knew I wanted to read an Agatha Christie novel but I wasn't sure which one I was like okay this one is fine um and Death on the Nile um was published in 1937 and of course it stars the um idiosyncratic um Hercule Poirot who is just on vacation he's minding his own business he's going to <laughs> Egypt he doesn't want to you know do he's he's taking a break from his detective ploys um when of course you know death strikes right and not only one death but there i will just say there are multiple deaths on the nile and um you know i for an agatha christie novel sometimes i i would appreciate a little bit more action when um, i'm reading like a murder mystery so there were some quite slow moments but it certainly heated up towards the end. And uh, Hercule, of course, is uh, one of my favorite detectives. The little gray cells. Yes. <laughs> All about the little gray cells. Exactly. So um, it was a nice romp. And like, like I said, I do like appreciate um, a good old detective novel as just something to read in between um, other pursuits. That is a perfect place for Agatha Christie. I love mm -hmm. that. As a palate cleanser, a little sherbet right. in between your... <laughs> No. You're right. 
That's mm-hmm. great. So Death on the Nile. And I am excited to, you know, now that I know that it's been made into a movie, like, of course, I'm going to go see that, see what they do with it. We can only help it will be better than Death on the Orient Express. Oh. That was it. Yeah. Oh, boy, I wanted to like that. It had such a fabulous star-studded cast. Was that the Kenneth cast? Branagh, too? Yes, was it, it was. Yeah, I think, I think we can expect more from Kenneth Branagh. That's right. Step up, brother. Anyone else have anything? I would uh, like to mention one interesting news tidbit um, that relates to a book I have been flipping through. Um, As you all probably remember, Amanda Gorman, who read um, her poem, at the hill we climb at um, President Biden's inauguration. And her new book of poems is called Call Us What We Carry. And um, she, as usual, is just really amazing. This extremely young woman is writing for all of us, for her whole country. There is not a lot of self-absorbed I and me and her poetry, but like, what do we need? What is happening to us? And um, she dedicates this book of poetry for all of us, both hurting and healing, who choose to carry on. Anyway, um, there are several poems in here I'd be happy to read on the air another time. But tying in with that book on NPR's news website last week, I saw this interesting article about the work of getting this book translated into other languages. For some people, the lack of diversity in translators has been a problem. Mm -hmm. Who has the right to translate this young black female's Mm -hmm. uh, poetry Mm -hmm. into other languages? And Mm -hmm. there's been some debate about it in other countries. Mm -hmm. In this case, in Budapest, Hungary, the um, Hungarian Roma, some of the Hungarian Roma, one of Europe's largest minorities and most marginalized Um, Still treated like outsiders until recently they were also called gypsies. Um, But some young some young people in that ethnic group have been chosen to translate. And that is a really interesting story to me. Um, Mm. One young woman, a 20 year old named Rosalia, says the way she performs her poem, you are listening to her and everything makes sense. When you experience hate every day of your life, she says, you can just feel every word of this poem. You feel seen. You feel hope that you can do much more in your life than what society tells you. And that that perspective is one of the reasons why she's now on a team of young Romani writers who were translating Amanda Gorman's new book, Call Us What We Carry, into Hungarian. And I believe it will be out there this summer. That is fascinating. Like, who gets to translate these these works? Um, that's that's I've never considered that before. Thank you for bringing that up. I imagine too with translating poetry. Poetry ha- ha- oh, must man. be such yeah. a challenge. There's so yeah. There's just so much there conveying what the what the poet was you know attempting to communicate <laughs> I know. And to, to, to bring that into another language i imagine that would be really challenging yeah. you would want to have someone who who had the right yeah. soul experience right. yeah. perhaps mm-hmm. in some cases in some mm-hmm. cases mm-hmm. well right. folks mm-hmm. as click and clack used to say wasted another perfectly good hour <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us on radio book club this has been jesse and meg from the library with Molly from KZMU, Andy and Sherry, we miss you and hope you guys are all doing well. And uh, come visit us at the library. There's lots of going on at the bookstore, too. And we'll see you guys next month. Good night. Good night. <laughs>